Good evening and welcome to On The Record Off The Cuff Album Reviews. This evening we are having a talk about Alanis Morissette's Jagged Little Pill. I'm joined by uh, two of our contributors this evening. First of all, uh, more recent contributor and friend Becca, say hello. Hello everyone. And stalwart and uh, right-hand man, left-hand man, boss, tech help, whatever, um, Ian. <laughs> hello again. Right then. So, I guess a little, little tiny bit of background. This, this is one of the albums that I always wanted to do on the podcast just because it was uh, kind of so big and prominent in a, a certain time of, of my life, I guess. And also the added, the added bonus, because we were going to record this uh, a little while ago, but Becca said, no, 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 don't do it now. Wait until I've been to see Alanis singing this album live, which is obviously a very, very sensible thing to do. <laughs> so uh, we waited and did just that. So I can't wait to hear those uh, those gig stories and, and perhaps a little bit about some of these uh, songs in a live setting as well, I guess, to, to complement the, the album stuff. I'd, I'd, I'll kick off. I won't be too long. Because I, I had quite an interesting experience listening back to this. And that experience was this. And it starts off in a manner which is honestly not disparaging in any way. But I found as I listened to the album, kind of retrospectively, that does feel to be kind of a, a linear quality to the music. And though not all together... But I'd say the majority of it, there is a bit of a sort of a samey feel. There is a formula. I think having read into the recording process, how it was done, this makes sense. But that isn't necessarily a bad thing at all, because the fact of the matter is that formula was a five-star formula for Alanis Morissette, her voice, her reproach. And I've mentioned the main powerhouse here. It's a voice and her lyrics on top of the way that they recorded these songs and how they, these songs were stylistically put together, basically make an extremely solid album with some of the really, really, I'd say some of, some of the better lyrics I've kind of heard uh, in terms of sort of honest raw and from the soul. And I guess they hit the populist music world at a time when they were ready I, I guess it was kind of going, moving into post grunge in a way and uh you're having a conversation with yourself there yeah yeah I know I, I, well this is what I wanted to say because as, as we had a little chat beforehand in some ways I don't feel I can speak a lot about certain songs but I want to be clear that that's not a disparaging thing I think it's just there is a there is a kind of linear quality when you listen retrospectively, as I say. But that holistic quality in itself is still a very very strong album presentation and works really well. And I think, in a sense, the simplicity of the track highlights the quality of the writing. Is probably where I'm going with this. Anyway, I'm so sorry. I'll shut. <laughs> I'll shut up. I'll shut up. But uh, Becca, do you want to have a blast first? Then, as you're uh, off the live side of this as well. Yeah, yeah. So I suppose, like, I probably had a very, um, I'm going to make wild assumptions now and say I had a very kind of different introduction to this album. Because um, obviously this came out about, like, 1995-ish. And that, for me, I think, I'm trying to think now, I have to do maths in my head, but I will have been about sort of, like, 15, I think, 
So around that sort of age, like 15, 16, teenager. So to hear like an album coming from a woman that is honest, raw, angry, you know, all of those things, is like a real, like, that's like gold dust back then, right? Like there's not many people out there, there aren't many women out there that are doing things. And like in a in a way that's cool for a teenager, right? Because like there are other people out there in that period of time that are probably doing very emotional, angry things. But a lot of them were probably things that your mum was listening to. Um, whereas <laughs> like Alanis was this kind of new, fresh, she's only about like, like, maybe about eight or nine years older than me, I think. So real credible when you're that age, you're a teenager, you're looking at someone who's in their, like, their early 20s and, and you know, um, and then actually in the contrast as well to the UK scene at the time, obviously looking at the beginnings of like Britpop, so there's a real kind of indie trend kicks in at that point. And actually there is a kind of that feminist rise because you're talking about like kind of like beginnings of, if you're not already there, this sort of Spice Girls era. Um, so it's a, what they call it, second, third wave feminism, girl power era. Um, and certainly in the UK, whilst you didn't, you you kind of had a lot of those acts like, you know, Elastica and Lush and Echo Belly and, and bands like that. In the US, there wasn't like a great deal that was making big shakes. I mean, you had the obvious kind of rock icons of the likes, you know, Courtney Love and people like that. But, you know, of people that were not, you know, how do I say it without swearing, because she is my idol, but not a complete bell end like Courtney Love was. <laughs> you know, Alanis was just this kind of cool, nice, chilled person who seemed quite innocent writing these very emotional songs. So for me, like you were saying lyrically, I think that's the thing that when you speak to female friends, that's the bit that really pulls this in. I, it's funny when you were saying about the linear thing, I was kind of like, oh yeah, but actually now you say that, that's really true. And I wonder if that's because she's got a pop background you know, because her first couple of records she released, because she'd been, like, writing music since she was, like, I want to say three or something really ridiculous, but I think it was, like, ten or something. She released, like, a pop album that she paid for herself because um, I think she'd been on TV or something beforehand. And and so, like, I do wonder whether that linear thing comes from, you know, that pop stylings, because pop has that very kind of formulaic kind of way of, of producing records and producing songs. But yeah, I think, I think it, yeah, it just was a real incredible thing. And the lyrics in there were, it was like, okay to be angry. I mean, I say to this day, and we can talk about it later, but you know, you ought to know it's like the most vitriolic song that I, any woman knows. That will have been sung by so many drunken, sprawling, screaming, catawalling women at some point thinking about whatever X they can label it on. Because it's just so empowering to be like, yeah, you know, F you, like, you know. Um, so, yeah, so I think, like, that's my background to that record of, like, you know, teenage years, this honest, raw thing. Um, seeing it live was actually kind of a bit of a weird, like, turnaround to that, right? Because if you follow Alanis in her career, which actually I have to admit I didn't. I didn't really. I kind of have I really ignored a lot of her work post this album. I've kind of checked in a little bit. But... You know, she's gone quite, uh, you know, she's very into like meditation and homeschools her kids and is very kind of gone kind of a little bit, as my, my mother would call it, hippy dippy. Um, <laughs> and so actually that presence at the live gig was very much there. You know, there were, uh, she played obviously this album, but a couple of non-album tracks like Thank You, 
where she posted loads of things from her fans and, and thank yous to people. Her kids were there. They came on stage and she, you know, she just made this big deal about how grateful she was with everything. Um, and so, yeah, it's kind of real contrast in the way that I experienced that record in early years to then like who she is as a person. Um, but yeah, like not wanting to go down the one person interview route. <laughs> I wondered like, you know, what, what Ian, what was your experience? Um, so uh, I talked to uh, my partner earlier about all this, because mainly because we were trying to find the, uh, the CD, which I think is in one of the cars somewhere, because uh, it, it is on, uh, on rotation. I remember the, I think it was the, was it You Want to Know, the first single? Yes. I yeah, think, I remember. I, it was. I don't think it was actually. I think I, I feel like maybe no, I it was. was the first single, but because you ought to know, if I'm not wrong, and correct me on this, I'm sure I remember it. That got picked up by radio stations before it was a single. Well, the the mighty Wikipedia says you ought to know is the first single, oh, and yeah. ironic was the third. Oh. Apparently, yeah. I think I think it's one of those where we'd heard it on the radio. <laughs> Um, but I think the the album must have gone and got some traction because uh, Caroline remembers seeing a TV ad with that, uh, and didn't, we didn't really know the album at the time. And it's one of those TV ads where you know you got five second clips of each album, and she literally went out the next day and bought it because um, you know she liked every everything on there. Um, so yeah, nineteen ninety five it came out. So for me, I'm. Tiny bit older than you, Becca. <laughs> um, so I, I'm at, uh, I'm at kind of the other end. I was I was uh, out of university uh, uh, by that point. Um, so I mean, it's still very much. She's singing about a period in life that I was very much still in, just <laughs> slightly at the other uh, other end. Um, Clinging to it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, what I hadn't realised, because, I mean, this is an album we used to listen to a lot, and, and obviously it, it went stratospheric, and the, there was so much radio play of, of all the singles. Um, it was completely ubiquitous uh, as an album. But what I hadn't realised until I listened to it again and recently after a break of several years is something that's absolutely bloody obvious i hadn't really realized at the time that it it is a it is a grunge album uh and it's completely in in the key of those those kind of bands it's to me like a soul asylum blind melon those kind of alt rock bands that were around the time that's what it sounds like to me at the time i didn't i didn't recognize that because of the the slightly more sparkly uh, singles, I kind of had it in my head as as a kind of folky pop <laughs> kind kind of thing. I'm completely completely uh, wrong about that. Uh, I, I think, and it's interesting what you're saying about in in the UK we're on the edge of um, the kind of Brit rock kind of thing because. Um, my tastes were already pretty entrenched. And so Brit Rock was something that was kind of happening over there somewhere. I was aware of it going on, but the kind of alt rock type stuff was still very much uh, my world at the time. And this is it's just bang in the middle of it. It's interesting what you say about grunge. I, I did, it feels, oh God, it feels more sort of, sort of swishy indie rock with a drum machine. To me, I, I 
it's got some drum machine parts on it, but I think the vibe of the whole thing, I mean, there's certain songs that, that stand out, we'll get into them track by track, but, you know, there's, there's definitely uh, hints of Soul Asylum on there. There's definitely bits of Pearl Jam. I wouldn't say it's a million miles away, yeah. Jane's Addiction, Smashing Pumpkins even. It's, you know, yeah, it's, I was going to say, I was going to say it's more like that kind of softer side, right? Because if you, like, obviously at the time being a teenage girl, you're desperately trying to find those things. So for my head, you know, I think of the likes of like Tracy Bonham um, and like, you know, Veruca Salt and, and bands like that that were kind of at the back end of the sort of grungy sort of period were a little bit softer. Um, and for me, you're right, I think it is somewhere between sort of a grunge and pop album. And yeah, I do, I do think musically it's very much of its time like for me. Oh yeah, it sounds so nineties. Very yeah, yeah, that's it. I yeah. think lyrically it, it would span the ages because yeah. the, the the topics and the feelings that are expressed in it are, you know, endless. To the degree where some of the songs have like the, the classic mid nineties dance beats from a drum machine, mm. like yeah. the, the soul of soul type of stuff, you know, it's 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 really sort of prominent. I just remember I, I mean I just remember how sort of completely omnipresent the album was wherever yeah. you went that mm. sa- that album was everywhere and i can you know i think it's two or three of those albums over over sort of over the 90s but uh jagged little pill was certainly po- possibly the, the one that made the the biggest splash in just like it, it was coming out of every pub club car oh, oh, yeah, window totally. it's just like, absolutely everywhere mm-hmm. all, all the bands all the bands that i mentioned then and you know and all of those things were quite obscure bands you had to kind of know about them they were out the back of the sort of riot girl scene and that sort of thing but you know alanis Morissette, my mum listened to at the time and still would and actually that was an interesting thing at the gig is i expected to go to the gig and be surrounded by women in their 40s and whilst there were a number of women in their 40s, there were also women in their teens who were belting out every single song <laughs> like they lived it. And there were women way older than me, but actually there was all genders, ages, races. It was a very diverse crowd for a gig. I was expecting it to be what my husband would refer to as a total mel- melon fest. Um, but no, it was, it was a, you know, a real <laughs> diverse mix of people. And I think that's a tribute to the fact that it's, to a degree, quite easy listening. Like, even though it's got that rockier edge, it's quite easily listening. And with the exception of, you ought to know, because of the language and the slight aggressiveness in it, actually, the rest of the songs, if you're not really paying too much of attention, are just quite easily listening tunes. Okay, if you dig into some of the lyrics a little bit more and think about it, there is some quite darker intent in some of them. Um, But, you know... At a base level, it's just a very easy listenable album. I, that's a, a really interesting take on it because I don't see that at all. <laughs> um, and not that I see it as a challenging listen by by any stretch. I think it's quite a hard hard edged uh, album, uh, and not just lyrically. I think it's the the absolute power and charisma of the, the voice and the the incredibly well written lyrics that just draw you in i think it breaks down i think it's actually a, a, a harder album she did i think she delivers hard hard themes consistently yeah, I, but at different tempos some yeah, of it's I, more menacing and gentle but it, well, i wouldn't say it's pop in anything other than the fact then the fact it has oh, uh, catchy know. hook lines and things yeah. like that 
you know and uh, you know i'm i'm not quite sure that i uh, and this is a great thing about this <laughs> podcast yeah. we're talking about our, our personal takes on things i don't think it's as quite as on rails as you guys have insinuated and, and to be fair you know, obviously that depends on your context right because yeah know, yeah if someone who mostly listens to Coldplay or like something kind of more generic they might think oh my god this is so really really hardcore and someone who listens to like Pantera might be like oh this but is that's like, it you know, there, there is but... there is a sort of familiarity you know mm. the the if someone something breaks through and gets popular and gets a lot of play and so so it gets a lead single and then a follow-up single so something uh, uh, breaks through the the mere fact that people are hearing it a lot the familiarity starts to bring down the 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 barrier and i think you know like like nirvana if they didn't have those big singles and what have you if someone just played you some of the back end of um never mind without that kind of thing it would not sound like a a, a kind of uh, a pop charting album i maybe it would i i, Sat- I don't no, think, no, no, I don't think right. it would Sat- saturation moves the the venn diagram yeah. guidelines a bit but I, yeah no i i I see what you're saying, Ian, I do. I have to agree with Becca. I, I still think there is a definite popism sort of sprinkled, sprinkled with indie rock in a way, but mm. yeah, interesting. There's a like definite perspective, isn't it? There's a deafness to the, to the writing, I think, you know, in, in, in the way that the, the Carpenters could structure a perfect song. To be um, honest, I, this is one of the occasions where I'd say the music is actually secondary. To, mm. to to the to the voice and oh, what yeah. she's delivering yeah. and she's absolutely written, which absolutely. is I have to say as well like live that voice wow I mean and like if you've ever done any voice coaching they really talk to you about the shape of your mouth when you sing um, and how you get that noise out and watching her sing especially when they were you know we were quite close to the front if I haven't seen pictures I'll show you like we were literally <laughs> only about maybe five or six rows back from the main stage. And wow. we were at the O2 arena, which has quite a low stage. I was shocked. I thought it might be really bad seats, but, you know, we were quite close to her in that set. I did still find myself kind of looking up to the screen when there were close-ups on her face because you could see the level <laughs> of technique. It was really, you know, really open mouth. You know, you could see a tongue flat in her mouth and, and really giving the volume. And, yeah. you know, she'd cancelled the gig two or three nights before hours so i was expecting as someone whose vocals are such a key part of a performance just as a tiny little aside we were very grateful of that because we were doing a gig <laughs> at the, <at> the <laughs> brood now that night which we expected to be quite quiet in the post-covid price of living thing and then we got a lot of people in who were saying oh well we've just come down from from the top of town because alanis morissette cancelled with 30 minutes to go so bless her i say but yeah yeah no we we were real like fingers crossed didn't know whether it was going to happen or not right up until Mm -hmm. the thing but yeah to to say that she entirely lost her voice several days beforehand yeah wow yeah never have known never have known i know there was a furore about it but a singer of that magnitude who's performed that much kind of knows they're always going to go to the last minutes they're not you know as a performer you there's no way you want to not do your gig she posted a video to her fans to say like sorry mm-hmm. on the night and you could she could barely speak you could tell yeah. she yes. speak. Yeah. but she was I think devastated so. Fair enough. you know and she explained i'm so sorry yeah. we've left it to the last minute because i'm absolutely devastated because what you have to remember is as well 
this is a you know a 25 year anniversary of an album that she wrote that went monumental that was then delayed for the best part of like two or three years mm-hmm. and actually had like additional delays on top of that because gigs kept getting cancelled and moved and I think our tickets were were changed oh god four or five times the dates changed so it was continual like things happening so the level of frustration and just wanting to get out there and be there knowing that the fans had also suffered from that and have been through this pandemic and just really wanted to be out and you know singing and joy like you can imagine that must have been really really devastating for her to make that decision and just be like you know she would clearly must have been pushing herself to the last minute to be like no I can't do it but I want to you know she went off on some vocal riffs in that gig that were just well in in a their previous podcast, we we did the um, Faith No More album, The Real Thing. And a lot of the talk about that was Mike Patton's incredible range of vocal styles. And I think the same is, is true of Alanis Morissette here, that she hasn't got one gear. Mm. Um, there's there's some, you know, she can belt it out. She can, uh, she can screech. She can do kind of folky whimsy she's got she's channeling bits of country the little hops at the at the end of uh, lines and you know and it's 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 incredible she, a bit like mike mike pan she can change vocal styles three times in a single line it's it's incredible there's a there's a kind of freedom i think to the vocal style on, on this there's, i mean there's some bits where she almost sounds like almost like a muppet in places and i don't mean that in a disparaging way but it's just the complete freedom to affect a voice in a certain way to get a point across and i just wonder whether if if you look at the um some of the history of the production a lot of the vocals that made it through to the album were the uh original kind of demo takes Mm. and i just wonder whether recording vocals when you're in demo and songwriting mode just frees you up a little bit to try a few things that you might be slightly more self-conscious about if you're in a big studio with xx looking on saying right this is the album this is the this is the take because there is there's there's an absolute kind of lack of uh embarrassment or or anything there Mm. so so free Completely, yeah, completely organic. I was going to say, because uh, obviously when you do these things, you do a bit of a snooping up every now and then and watch the odd video and things. And I saw something where she was talking about how um, it was like a really old MTV interview that I saw from like 95 where she was talking about how she'd moved because she was originally from Ottawa. She moved to Toronto and then she moved to, I think, like LA or somewhere mm-hmm. like that. And she'd moved because she said she hadn't found anyone in Toronto that she kind of gelled with. She was saying like, whether that's kind of like from like an intellectual level or an emotional level, there wasn't anyone she felt comfortable with. And the guy that she met that she wrote this album with, whose name completely escapes me, um, Glenn something maybe, I, don't, I can't remember. Um, but she was a chap where she said that she met him and she knew instantly that there was a bond and that there was no judgment. And she talks as well about how she has kind of two modes she has this mode that I think she called something like under the rock or something where it was basically like trackies on, hair scragged up, no makeup, don't give a shit. You know, she would whack out a song in like 10 minutes, you know, write it in within 10 minutes. And like you say, go at it in like the first or second, you know, the first or second take and that would be the album take yeah. and that was it. And then, so, yeah, I think I can understand what you're saying, that freedom, but I think it's that 
almost like comfort and security, right? Of just like... Well, it's, it's talent, isn't it? Mm, it's the ability yeah, to yeah, just yeah. to pull it out the bag at the time and not to think, right, yeah. I've got to plan how I'm going to do this. It's, it's instinct and yeah. ability. Well, let's pull a few things out of the bag then and hit some of these <laughs> tracks. Did you see what I did there? That was great. That was great. Um, okay. Uh, all I really want. Anybody want to uh, have a kick off with this? Um, I, again, I, I mean, we say this every time we, we do these, but it's a great it's a great uh, song to kick off the album with. It's got bits of everything mm. that you're going to hear for the rest of the album in there. I like a harmonica. Uh, I especially like it in a kind of alternative rock setting, um, taking away. And quite from... like, and let's just put like where that was in time. Like, what a weird thing to open an album with. Right? I, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And that you know, again, I think I, I think that's again part of the voice, a kind of lack of self consciousness. You're going. I think it sounds good. Let we're going to do it, you know. And like like you say, she'd done those couple of low budget pop albums that didn't do much business outside of you know hometown or certainly not outside of Canada. And and she didn't have a record contract at the time, and they were writing this this stuff and what have you. So there's a, there's a complete a freedom you get when you, when you've got no no choice as well. Um, yeah, br- a brilliant way to to kick up, and it you know you got a nice shuffle groove. A honky sounding guitar, which actually works. Um, it would sound weird anywhere else, I think. But um, yeah, love it. Very, very similar. I like the sort of, the theme is the theme that continues for the most part through the album. For me, there are kind of two songs in here. That's one that's fairly different from the rest and another one that's a little bit different, but I'm not sure if it's just to my ear. Uh, you, you can challenge me on that later when I, when I tell you what I think it is. But I think... Um, <laughs> Yeah, it, it sets things off as, as they mean to go on. I do like that sort of splash wet chord and the sort of yeah. swishy guitars at the beginning. And there is a, there's a fluidity and a freedom and a hazy feel to it, which sort of persists uh, through the album. As Ian mentioned, you have this sort of shuffle. You know, this you don't hear that much music of a sort of, with a rock, again, going same argument, with a rock edge-ish, so this this you know so the shuffle seems a bit u- a bit unique used with the other ingredients here to a degree. So I think that's kind of cool, and just yeah, it's the first time you hear that vocal, and and, and there are some points on this is one of a few songs where she goes. I, I don't know <laughs> the Muppet comment. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It's sort of like that, but she goes to sort of a, a place where she sounds strained, yet you know she's completely comfortable. Yeah. And that gives that little bit of sort of wrenching thing, which is as complete parity with emotion and things that she's trying to convey. And it's just like she has these few little nuclear weapons that she can go to, perhaps, again, like Ian said, a la Patton, possibly. And I think that's sort of one of the things that comes along, comes over yeah, in this. I, I get that, like, you know, that, like you say, the tool where she's singing, where it's like, uh, there's a line where it says, like, I really like to reel it in and then I spit it out. And the way she says spit it out is like almost like he's literally physically yeah. spitting it she out. She spits it out. Um, yeah, yeah. And, 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 and it's weird as well, because that contrast of my favorite little bit of that song is that bit where I can't really, um, I'm not going to do an Alanis Morissette for impression, but where she does <laughs> a bit where she kind of, she goes up and follows the song. So I'm trying to think now. The lyric is like, there I go before a gunshot has gone off. And it's like she sort of goes up and then back down Undulating. again. Yeah. Yeah, 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 that's the term, yeah. Um, and it, But it just, it's really lovely to kind of follow her voice go up. So you kind of get this spit it out bit and like this bit about like, you know, I'm frustrated by your apathy. And then into this little undulation that's yeah, quite actually yeah. quite pretty. And it's, 
And yeah, it's kind of a little bit all over the place, but in a quite nice way. I quite enjoyed that. And yeah, it's kind of a bit of a, I think lyrically it's kind of like, compared to some of the other songs, it's not really that deep. It's just kind of a little bit of a, it's almost like a little bit of a kind of ranty type thing, but nothing kind of major. It's not going in, not like some of the other you it's, know, track where she's really digging in on things. It's a bit of a palate, uh, a palate cleanser, sort of an entree to <laughs> a just sorbet. Get, get you. Not definitely not a sorbet, and especially not mango chutney. But yeah, no, it's definitely like an entree. It's it's, it's a slightly lighter version of what's to come lyrically yeah, and with barbs and stuff and like that. Bouche. Taster, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we we've suitably exhausted every word for what we wanted there. That's brilliant. Well, moving on to uh, the second track and the aforesaid huge single. i absolutely sure this was the first song I heard off the album and was, yeah, pretty much knocked over by it and thought, my God, this is particularly good. I remember it was I was quite late on when I, I came to realise and, and understand that um, Flea and Dave Navarro had played on it. It took yeah. a while. Where, and then as soon as you listen listen back particularly to, well, more of the bass playing, it's like, bloody hell, of course that's Flea. <laughs> it's like, of course it's Yeah, there. and that bass playing at the start as well, that like, dum, dum, yeah. just kind of singing that little bit. It's like yeah. really kind of moody, isn't it? I love that. Yeah. This is what, again, this is one of the two tracks I think are, a little bit different to everything else because this is more overtly rock. I'm not implying mm. that it was, right, we've got to do the one massive hit single. I don't think it's that because I don't think that's her. I think she just writes and goes and perhaps it speaks to Navarro and Flea, I don't know. But this one feels that a bit more overt and is not just a standout in t- as far as being a, a cracking hit. It's a slightly different sound, a slightly different sort of velocity to it in a way. I'm sure I read that when Flea and uh, Navarro put the music together, they were basically working off a vocal track. Mm, yeah, she said something somewhere. Yeah, she said something about that she didn't want to breathe down their neck, so she just left yeah. them to it. And so that, you that know, would answer no... the question. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, exactly. <Absolutely>. Anything. But <laughs> then, if you think about that, that that that's a vocal take that's been that's been tracked without that bass and without that guitar there. The, mm-hmm. the feel from that song has come from a vocal interpretation of the lyrics before it's even seen, you know, two of the most prominent alt-rock musicians of their uh, time have their, uh, you know, do their business on it. Yeah, no, that, that does make, that does make, uh, that does make perfect sense. And it's got lovely dynamics. It's that big sort of Absolutely. Dr- dreamy breakdown in the middle. Again, Flea's bass playing is that little bit busier uh, and high registered here and there in the song as well, which again makes it stand out. But like, really, we can't really talk about this music, this about the music really, can we? No, you're right. This song is more about the lyrics than any other song I've ever heard. (laughs) Yes, yes. I will point out, first of all, and this may surprise me, that this is my second favourite track on this album, and I will come to my favourite later. But this track is, like I say, this is that standout track that all drunk women have sung it as that vitriolic F you to that, like, and I have searched, because I love this type of music, I have searched, there are not many songs that do this, and not many songs that remain lyrically this fresh throughout your no. entire life. And I think, you know, it goes to, like, experiences that, like, you know, and I'm sure everyone has, but I speak for, you know, those of us with wombs or without or that identify as women. Like, it's a real... Like things that you've definitely been in that, you know, that imposter syndrome of a new partner, 
that kind of feeling like, oh my God, are they better than me? You know, does he just still think about me? You know, and that, you know, the bit that I really love as well is that, you know, uh, you're here to deny me of the cross I bear, you know, that you gave me. <laughs> That's a good line. That, yeah. You know, it's that real, like, don't you even attempt to shut me up because I, you made this pain and I am going to own it and you're going to hear it and you're going to listen whether you like it or not because it's mine and I own that. And I think that's like a real, because it's really powerful in the song as well, but it's almost like she's like basically saying like, I'm choosing to own this pain. That's like, and I love that. Like, yeah. that's the real F.U. bit about it. Like this, you made this situation, but I'm going to make sure you know, you're not going to forget me. You know, this, my um, uh, my wife made a, a, a comment that, that, that basically it chimes in with that because you know I, I obviously can't listen to this album from a female perspective as as sympathetic as I, as I try to be, but you know uh, uh, Caroline was saying that lyrically here, I mean this is this is the kind of thing women think this. Alanis said went ahead and said it and shouted it <laughs> loud and put it to put it to music. Yeah, yeah, and in a period of time as well, where like radio company uh, services were turning down the record because they were like, "Oh, we've got we've got too many women on the roster at the moment. <laughs> yeah. We're playing these other albums by these other women." Yeah, like women as a genre. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah the, the female genre, like yeah, <laughs> would be limited to like three, four artists, and then you know that's our quota for the week. You know, <laughs> and so for her to not only release a record that is so fu that is absolutely you know, tearing a guy, emasculating and tearing him to pieces for how he's treated, to then have that as, like, you know, a top-selling record when the radio waves were absolutely male-dominated. Yeah. Like, you know, well done. (laughs) You know, well done. For me, this will always, always be that just, yeah. And, And everybody loves singing that line, you know, are you thinking of me? You know, everyone loves that song and everybody wants to bail that one out. And it's just such a brilliant that song. The fact that she's just being so utterly visceral with that line mm. is is very, very respectable. And I love, again, there's no, there's nothing, there's absolutely nothing held back. It's 100 miles an hour in oh, the yeah. direction that she wants to go in. I mean, like you say, visceral, how many songs have got a line in me? Like, would she go down on you in a theatre? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, you're <laughs> incredibly visceral. And, and interesting as well, because she's quoted to have said in a few interviews that as a child and growing up, she was never allowed to be angry. She was never allowed to be scared. Yeah. I think it was three things she says. It's like angry, scared, or like it, basically emotions. She wasn't allowed to have outward emotions. And so this song is like just the absolute opposite of all of those things. The pressure like, cooker you know, that built in yeah. a way, yeah. Well, I think sometimes when you do see some criticism of this album, it is from a kind of very sexist standpoint where people basically are uncomfortable with... I mean, there's countless albums with blokes burying their souls and using robust language and and saying these kind of things, and and no one bats an eyelid. You know, and and, and so when people start ripping into this album or... Alliance Morissette as an artist and what she's saying. I think they need to look at themselves a little bit more about what their own biases may be. Mm, mm, yeah, definitely, definitely. So we'll move on and, and bring things in musical tempo down a little bit with with Perfect. Good dynamic on the album as a whole. You always get mm. yeah, that classic third third song settled down a bit. <laughs> Do something, you know, tempo-wise. But again, Have a breather. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. 
I kind of I kind of like this because it's kind of a, a song that does a if you were graphing it sort of thing it'd be a nice nice steady toddle along that sort of builds to a and then just sort of toddles out again and you've got the song of three thirds in terms of the dynamic and what have you and it's just this thing I, again it's a bit of a juxtaposition for me because I I don't concentrate on lyrics as as hard as I concentrate on on music it's just how I I guess hear things and absorb them. But it's just, she's so powerful insofar as there is, there's always two or three lines out of every song which stick harder. This this album, really, that what's the other thing, other than all the sort of linear five-star stuff, the other thing that stuck with me, there are so many, not even one line is just two or three words together, but there's certain things. And, and this is kind of not even that powerful, but the be a good boy, try a little harder, then be a good girl, try a little harder. That's, even that jumps out to me. Yeah. And I'm not predisposed to lyrics. And and the other few, as, as we go through, I'll, I'll identify, but just, and it's it's delivery, it's, it's intonation, mm. it's very specifics about how she does it and, and the mood that she's generating while she does it. And that's really clever. And it's getting through to somebody who, Again, doesn't usually listen to lyrics. Yeah, I would agree with that on the lyrics. Like, and, and like the way, it's the way she delivers it. Like I think, you know, that I, like I can hear it in my head, the way she says, if you're flawless, like it's almost breathless. It's it's kind of really, really kind of light. And, and, it, and like you say, it sort of builds in almost this sort of like, I want to say aggression, but it's not. It's like you can feel that parental like almost through gritted teeth, aggression, like you will do better. You yeah. should do better. A, a lot of it with Alanis Morissette is intensity. Mm. It's, she, yeah. she, can, she can be intense in a number of different ways, but effortlessly intense nonetheless, mm. I think. Yeah, yeah. And, and I'm with you. This this song cuts me a little bit deep, this one. And I think I, I realised, I didn't realise how much until when I saw it live and the delivery of it live. And I think she really kind of went in on that intensity really kind of dialed it up live and you could see a number of people around like you know and and actually one of my friends that came with me was saying like it's the most deafening process that I've ever been to because every single person in the room knew every single word <laughs> like you know we spent 25 years listening to it so we all knew it and this one was the one but you could see people really belting out because this really resonated with people. Because even if you've had, even if you haven't had a parental influence that has given you that, even if you haven't had, you know, in your education or something like that that's given you that impression, you know, people automatically can can take that view that that's what people intend, you know. So I feel like it's just so deep for everybody, you know, that kind of like, you know you know, make me prouder. So it kind of cuts a little bit there, you know, and I think, I think, yeah, I think it's, you're right. I think the intensity on this is the key one. It's very light and quiet and kind of effortless. And then it just like kind of builds into this, like, yeah, you know, you've got to be a good girl, be a good boy. Um, but then kind of drags it back down again, which I suppose goes to your thing about that kind of almost formulate kind of thing that it, you see that a lot in the tracks where it'll kind of build and come and come up back and down again. I, and just to even iterate the impressiveness of a delivery down, I've, I've, I've forgotten I've made a note. I'm just checking my notes. <laughs> the rolled, the way that she rolls the R at the end of trial, try a little harder. It's so punchy, something so tiny. But it, if you if you listen to it, it's like somebody smashing a nail through a piece of wood with like one hit. Just so mm. impactful. 
very, very and, strong. And that drop as well, you know, from the, why are you crying? Drop. Yes. And it's like, and it's, yeah. you know, it's that real, like, belt out, drop back down, snap. Like, In, you know, yeah, I love yeah. that. It, it kind of reminds me a little bit, and I, I you know, it's maybe because I'm obsessed with listening to it at the moment, but she reminds me a little bit in some respects, not in the sound, but in the way that she uses her voice as someone like Jeff Buckley, for example, where like it can be all over the place and then it can move from one really intense bit and drop back down. And, and I think, and I kind of, I, I think I'm really drawn to those sort of vocalists because it's clever. And like you were saying earlier, Ian, there's just real pure talent. Like the fact that these are coming out of first and second takes, yeah. She's just going in and doing that, and that's where her voice is taking her. Like, admittedly, you know, we don't know how much effort's been done and practiced before she gets to that point, but yeah, like, wow. <laughs> well, I, I think also there's there's a certain there's a certain freedom there with being a lyricist, or at least developing the lyrics, because uh, I think the producer they kind of co-wrote uh, some of them, but it's obviously from her. When you kind of married to the to to the lyrics because you've developed them, you they they mean something a little bit extra than singing someone else's song so you know as you're writing them what you mean and and you're you're picturing the the you know the characters or whoever it is that that, that have that opinion and i think what she's doing or or, or 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 to my mind what she's doing is she's using those different voicing styles to kind of characterize these viewpoints coming from the the kind of the the different people in in the song and that's where a lot of it comes from and 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 actually if you do listen to people uh, in conversation if they're being manipulative or, or or they're being angry or what have you it's not angry for two minutes it's it is this constant rise and fall of intensity and 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 you know and i think that's a, there's a lot of that comes from she absolutely knows she she's watching the film of this song in her head as she's singing it is is, is the way it seems seems to me which would be interesting right because i haven't seen it and i would love to but there is a jagged little pill musical Yes, I've heard. By somebody. Yeah, so it was written by somebody who listened to the album and wrote a, like, a play, you know, a musical yeah. based on the content of this album. And I would be very interested to see if you see that dynamic in arguments and those dynamics of, like, how they've utilised the song. Because if they have, that will have been very clever usage, yeah. you know, going back to what you were saying. Let's have a look at uh, what was... I believe the second single. Well, I know it to be a second single because I put a little <laughs> two next to it. I've been done where it's It's all cheating. It's all cheating. It's all cheating. I think this is the first one I heard. This hand in my all head. right. I think, it's, I think it will have been the first one because I feel like Ironic, when that came out, disappointed me because I really liked this song and I think Ironic got really overplayed. I think this did, but I don't think it was like as big, maybe. don't know. But yeah, it's definitely... I think it's definitely the first one that I will have come across to find out who Alanis Morissette actually was. I definitely remember it being big on the on the radio more so than uh, you ought to know. So um, it's not. It wouldn't be surprising if if this is uh, a lot of people's first introduction to uh, uh, to Alanis. Yeah, I like the this um, again. Going into it sounds a little more little bit more drum machine because of how they they execute that beat on it which i think is again a little bit of removal from some of the quieter builds and shuffles up to this point well and the overt rock song actually so again we get lots <laughs> of flavors really in the end and again there's, there's another line there what it all comes down to if, if somebody just said to me oh 
So here's a random song and the line is what it all comes down to. I'd know it for this song because of the impression of that line. And it just underpins how her delivery makes the Ricks land so hard. Yeah, because that kind of sums up the delivery of that track, right? Like that yeah, track yeah. is real kind of like, eh, it is what it is, you know. Like <laughs> Very much, very much. I it's it's interesting what you, you, you said about ironic that I can't wait till we get to ironic now, because that's gonna be really interesting. But yeah, hand in my pocket, another another solid single, another solid song. It's just an absolute banger. I mean, <laughs> oh no, you beat me. I was, I've, I've been trying so hard not to say banger because that's the. That's it is. Where... I mean, it's a perfect, it's a perfect radio song, but it's yeah, just, yeah. it's just an incredible song. And it's and it's one of those ones that is so like it's surprising for like because it's not as repetitive as you think it is. The lyrics in it do change quite a yeah. bit like in the verses and choruses but actually like it's the most kind of like memorable i mean obviously you know welcome to ironic and that is probably more so but it's one of the most memorable lyrically songs that you can just like and most people i bet off the bat could probably plow through a decent percentage of that song even having not heard it for about 20 years like it just kind of sticks in your head and you go through it and it's but yeah, no, I think like for me, it is all about the delivery. It's just kind of a bit of a, I don't know. I don't, I'm not that really bothered about it. I think it's a bit of a mess song. <laughs> like a bit like, yeah, whatever. I feel like there's a lot more powerful songs on this record. I think the one before this and the one that comes after this are much better songs. And I would generally, I would probably be inclined to skip this on the record. If it really? Ooh. That's, that's, uh, that's, because I, I, I would agree that there are more, certainly more powerful uh, songs on there this to me is you know a summer driving song <laughs> you know it's, it's like that. if if i had a you know a soft top car this is it's a it's a it's a it's a sunny day highway song it just it, you know it sounds like that i think i was gonna say what one of the, th- the things just to pick up from a production point of this which is i mean it's peppered throughout the, this album but it's particularly evident on this is the um the amount of breathing and breaths that are left in and it gives it gives everything a certain urgency i think and also you know some of the some of the the power and passion comes through with that kind of thing there's absolutely no doubt in my mind that the the trend these days would be to snip all of those out and have this like uh, perfect you know just just bring the gain up for the for the vocals but to leave all that in there i don't i can't think of anything uh, uh, another song that has quite that much uh, intake of breath kind of noises uh, uh, on there. Uh, so, like I say, it's, it's throughout the album, but I think it's particularly evident on this one. And I have to admit, it's funny you said that, because that, that is one of my least favourite ones, but I do have to admit that one of the things about that kind of instant take thing for me is about that kind of raw in-the-momentness. <laughs> so, like, you know, I, my brother's a sound engineer, and if he could have everything, he would have perfection, in like, you know, nth-degree perfection. And I'm the other way. Like, I'll quite happily listen to a band who sounds like they've been recorded in a tin can underwater. Like, <laughs> and I'm okay with that. And and for me, like, I'm more about the energy and the passion and things like that. I think you can lose a lot with a track if you've re-recorded and re-recorded over. I want that passion and that first yeah. like, hit, you know. So, you know, I quite like things like that when those type of things are left in because it's more real. But I, I think it's also one of those things when you've got such a good voice, you can't 
you can't break it. So leave the imperfections in there, leave the stuff mm. in, because it just all adds to it. Whereas if you've got someone that's a weaker singer, it's not quite as good to deliver. You've got to polish everything you can to help it to, to stand out. And there's, you know, there's absolutely no no need for any yeah, of that kind of production it, here. Yeah, yeah. Because of what she is, it's it's literally complementary to everything else she does, leaving that in. Leaving yeah. the, the sort of bare mechanics of, well, this is how just how good this is. Yeah. And I would love to think that that was by choice as well, that that wasn't just a, you know, that that had been thought through. Yeah. So do you feel like she's one of these people that does have a very... I was thinking about this earlier, actually, when I was talk, when I was kind of thinking about her and thinking about kind of what we we talk about. And I always have this real thing about Kate Bush being like this perfect, like, feminist icon for, like, women in music because she had total control over her career and her music from a very, very young age right through her career. And actually, as I was kind of thinking about Alanis, to a degree, she is kind of like her generation's Kate Bush in those terms. Mm -hmm. You know, from a very young age, she wanted to write music and, and, and record, and she even put out her own records under her own label, you know, before she was even a teenager. And everything she did musically and stylistically from that point onwards, she chose and she did from her own, you know, in her own way and under her own control um, and only worked with people that supported that. And so I like to think that those types of things kind of will have come from her because that's very much her aesthetic, you know, that kind of that honesty, that rawness, that passion, yeah. you know, expressing those feelings and emotions because emotions are a really important thing to her, you know, especially kind of, you know, reading up on, you know, what she's been doing. And she did kind of talk about it a little bit in the gig as well. You know, she suffered from postnatal depression. Yeah. Um, so I, I think the first two kids, she said it was like really heavy depression. And then the second time it was, a uh, third time it was anxiety. And so she's really in touch with her own emotions, which was obviously evident in the lyrical content of the track, but she's really in touch with her emotions. She's very analytical about emotions. She very cares about it. So I'd like to imagine that, like we were talking about, like the intent of how she puts across her lyrics and how, you know, she takes that first cut and those things are all very much an intentional thing. Um, I very much hope so. Love it if I could yeah. find out. But yeah, and sure. it, it, it lends an immediacy to the whole um, recording. You know, I, I like to think that, the studios as you kick the door down wandered in and say right i've got something to say and, and did it you know it's that kind of uh, level of right here it is that you know and, and the whole album having that control and that that self-driven kind of ability it's, it's tantamount to what can happen when people get out of the way and let talented people get on and make their own decisions and do things yeah. rather than saying right well we've decided in our wisdom that you'd be best off doing a song like this and yeah. what have you and the, oh, the other thing about that song as well that I'd, I'd, I'd noted down, it's got it's actually got a little harmonica solo in the middle, which is quite nice. So there you go. <laughs> All just, played just, by her as well. All played by her. Just yeah. a well, absolutely. Harmonica. Absolutely. A lot yeah, of harmonica yeah. at the live gig. She did some uh, some serious bits. Um, Cracking. And I have to say as well, which won't be relevant in any of these tracks, but has one of the most beautiful guitars. Um, if you ever get a chance to have a look at it, she's got, I can't remember what it is now, it's of a Fender-y type shape, um, but... It's like a black sparkle glitter thing that catches <laughs> every single bit of light on stage. And I, like... I'm 
all I over the Googles for that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> all over the Googles for you that. You can find a video of it. It's like, if you yeah, are one yeah. of those people that is listening to this that really likes sparkly things, I know several people do. <laughs> um, they're really, you know, like, yeah, just, oh, yeah. It's the most sparkly, delicious thing capturing every single bit of light. It must have about 15 layers of glitter paint on it. Yeah. But yeah, really beautiful. Um, and that was really good to see her as well, kind of up there, you know, playing different instruments. She, you know, goes up and drums with the drummer at one point, you know. And and going back to that kind of passion thing as well, you know, for someone who is, I think she must be knocking on to 50. She was all over that stage. She was bouncing about all over the place. And she does this brilliant bit, which I think is something that she's always done because everyone kind of uproared when she did it. Um, it must be kind of one of her key things. But she sort of spins round endlessly on stage in the, on the spot, just keeps spinning round with this long hair kind of flicking around all over the place and, you know, headbangs. You know, I was watching her thinking, Jesus, I mean, my neck's going to wake tomorrow morning just watching her <laughs> do that. Um, but, yeah, she's all over the place, you know, all over. And And what I have to say is as well, still hitting every single one of these goddamn notes while she's throwing mm. herself around and dancing and playing guitars and head banging and all of these things, still flicking out these vocal riffs that like Mariah Carey probably couldn't dream of. And you're like, what in the hell alien force have you got inside you that enables you to do these things? But yeah, like <laughs> incredible, really fabulous to watch, which it's quite interesting, Mike, because I have a real thing about people who go on stage and don't interact with the audience. And to I would say, for the most part, she doesn't. She doesn't really talk to the audience. She doesn't talk in between tracks. She's very, very limited in the stuff that she actually says, but makes up for it in that stage presence and, and being all over and doing all of those things. You kind of forgive her, but forgive her for it because of that. Um, she's very much a woman of two parts as well, I've noticed. You know, you can see her on interviews where she's, you know, bubbly and 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 chatting away and very warm. But actually, she, the way she comes across on stage is actually in that sort of more akin to what you see in the albums of this sort of quite insular, insecure person who isn't particularly outgoing. And I do wonder if she's just very well, she has a very well-honed mask for you know, doing PR and things like that, when actually the reality of could it be. is a very different person. I think, I think you've seen that person on stage. Sorry, go on. It's, it's, no, yeah, I was saying it, it, it's interesting, but often when you see um, people on stage and they go, oh, this song's about so-and-so and the interview song, you don't need to do that with any of these if you don't know what these songs are around uh, about from either the lyrics or or the way they're performed. I mean, what more is there to say? Yeah, what, what well, have you been listening to? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of speaking of which and, and, and keeping us on course, so uh, right through you, this has the, for me, this has the line that's on the plinth on Mount Olympus for sort of a, a song which epitomizes a lot of things feelings thoughts situations visceral uh, sort of summing up something that's visceral and this is the song that gives you wind down 69 me and i just think that it's, it's just sublime genius you know like, you, you in a weird way because for me it's about both of those it's the wind down 69 me and didn't hear a damn word i said as a woman that yes yes absolutely yes. in their lyric of like yeah You'll do all the flirting, you'll take me out for dinner, but you are paying no attention to me, my personality, and what is in my head. 
Um, and that was such a, like, absolutely so many women's experiences in life. Like, they're like, damn girl, yes, with you, got that. Excellent. Ability to deliver, brilliant. And just, again, I, I feel almost guilty throwing musical things in for this one, <laughs> which is it's only testimony to how stupidly brilliant it is <laughs> lyrically. There's a really weird thing going on with the guitar there that I can't decide whether it's an Ebo or not in the choruses, which yeah. has kind of an eerie quality, which beautifully backs a voice. I'm not saying there's like tons of different guitar types across this album, but that particular sound kind of grates against the voice and creates a really really nice sort of vibe for the for the choruses for this i, th- I think this is this is one of the ones that that, that does give me the kind of soul asylum blind yeah. melon type yeah, feels I and i think some of that is to do with those weird guitar sounds and things and things going on and you write yeah, as yeah. well with the kind of that it matches the lyrics because again i can't do the voice but i can't do any voice <laughs> but she do, she does this like it's kind of like daddy, 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 and then she kind of goes into this like kind of nasally sort of noise almost. Yeah, um, I, I think that's that's almost what I mean when I was talking about the muppeting earlier. Yeah. it's it's just that ability to go completely unselfconsciously to, to kind of twist and put and, and do these weird kind of effective things because it suits the the lyric and it suits the song and you know to hell with it. Yeah, yeah and she's just dropping these little again you know going back to that thing of like she's just doing a first take and she's just dropping in these little vocally bits here and there and it's yeah, yeah it's really nice I re- yeah i really like that and it does really suit when you're saying about the kind of guitar's got this slightly kind of eerie kind of quality to it and kind of strangeness i wonder what came first you know like chicken and the egg did the did they record that yeah. that vocal and then go oh we need some weird guitar in the <laughs> river, <you> know? <laughs> so what are we thinking about forgiven oh this one this one's a little bit like this this one's me for me the like the dark one that's like the it's it's subtly dark like i know it's kind of it's overtly dark in some ways but it's this like subtle less is that like the little bits of like the you know confess my darkest deeds to an envious man like i don't know i just yeah i feel like it's it's challenging religion and itself but then it's also kind of like picking out these these specific areas of you know and i guess it's all faith not just catholic but obviously catholic catholicism is kind of like most famous for you know these well that's her that's her childhood experience isn't it yeah yeah very much so and i think and i think you know if we say if you if you say the word catholic priest for most people that's going to sort of <laughs> idea right um and so she kind of plays into that but yeah and I just like the line, you know, where it's like, oh, I've got one more stupid question. You know, and the way she spits out stupid question, it's you read so much into it. It's like, I feel like you can almost hear that some Catholic priest has said to her, oh, stupid question, so many yeah. times or something like that. And it's, you kind of build this entire narrative behind her songs because the lyrics give you so much. Yeah, actually, there's not that many lyrics in this song, but it builds this, you, you know, for me... I can see, you know, this musty church and, and schoolgirls <laughs> in like, you know, the little kilt skirts and white blouses. And, you know, I, I can see the lighting and everything. I've got an entire picture based on such a small amount of lyrics for this song. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah, it's very vivid off the back of that. For me, I, I, I like the way she pushes the power of a voice on Forgiven. When she gets to the lines like, we all have a reason and she's, really pushing i know she sort of, she sings hard on the chorus of you ought to know but i think it's 
with a few more, a, a little bit more inflection here in their movement. It's almost as if uh, Unforgiven, it's it's like a direct square wave. It's just power, power, power. So I kind of like to hear that sort of pure power that mm. she goes with. Just another one of the the colours and flavours of her of her vocal. Yeah, because arguably you would say like you know you ought to know it's like the, a really aggressive track, but I would actually say Unforgiven probably because of those choruses is a more aggressive track than you know because it's really like a very aggressive attacking voice. She she sounds sort of angry and pushing a a, a, a point without the snarls, without mm. the growls. It's just pure force, mm. if you know what I mean. Like Sue Richards of the Fantastic Four with her. No, I'm sorry, I'm going. Off time. <laughs> yeah. But you kind of know what I'm getting at. Kind of know what I'm getting at. Um, uh, and there's a nice bit of, um, well, it's not quite flamenco guitar, but but that kind of classical uh, pick guitar just in the. Uh, yes, the interestingly, right, well. because this album, I don't know whether she recorded it beforehand or not, but this album was produced on Madonna's record label, wasn't it? It was on Maverick, that's right. Yeah, Maverick yeah. picked so up. Madonna at the time, in about 95, that's got to be about when she was doing, that's got to be like surely back end of like, either just before or after Evita, but it's like tracks like This Used to Be My Playground and things like that, that sort of era. Funnily enough, I've discussed this very thing with <laughs> one of my colleagues, who, who another guy, uh, a Chopin, a friend of mine who does, uh, does some of these and he does the Prince things. He's a huge Madonna fan. And and again, I'm I'm getting even more big at Madonna, if I'm honest, very very much. But she's kind of this. This is when she was at a. I mean, she's had nothing but high, but this was a bit of a dip. I think it was like around erotica and and like say going into bedtime, bedtime stories and so on and so forth. So for Madonna, who dabbles with having a record label to pick up an album by an artist <laughs> that becomes one of the best selling albums of all time at that point yeah. in time. I just love the sort of, he, he is sort of a, one of the biggest acts in the world ever, even when she dips. And I mean, this is a dip in a Madonna context, right? <laughs> even when seemingly she dips a bit. But it, I, I think in terms of, of sort of popular radio play and because she was challenging the radio and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Anyway, don't want it to be a Madonna thing, but, but like, I just love the fact that then her, her little sort of side record label picks up this iceberg that sinks all the all the ships. It's just absolutely fantastic. Uh, it's like you're not even trying sort of thing um, for success in different avenues. But yeah, yeah, it picked up by Maverick. Picked up. So uh, moving on to you learn. Well, this is obviously this is where the line for the album. Uh, yeah, comes from. Uh, the album title, yeah. Yeah, I, there's all sorts of stuff about this I quite like, actually. There is, uh, particularly at the end, there's like um, sort of a bit of that, that ascending sort of ad-lib vocal to take it out, which is like very, very freeform. And I kind of like that. I, I hadn't heard that anywhere else on the album, but it seems like something who is a very good organic vocalist would do. Um, and I think that works really well to add something in that's slight, again, Slightly different because I do think at, at this point in the album, we're, I hate to use certain terms and I don't mean, if, if I was to say we're suffering ever so slightly from things becoming a, a little bit samey because again, we're not, you know, we're not firing out rock songs and jazz songs. We, we have a, a bit of a, again, this, this great formula and, and just superb pure songwriting ability and a superb voice and superb lyrics. Um, but again, it's it's difficult to pull new things in in terms of a narrative in the context of, of sort of talking about all the songs. There isn't sort of a bottomless pit of 
of, of difference, if you like. Mm. But that makes the little subtle minor things stand out. And if you're going to have a listen to that little ad lib bit at the end, it's lovely and it's kind of unique. I don't think there's anything quite like that on the album anywhere else. Yeah, there are some nice little vocally bits when she does like the the dust settles bit, the way her voice kind of does the settles and then this kind of like eh, 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 bit at the end of it, it's quite nice, quite like that. Uh, this was the fourth single as well. I didn't realise um, this was a single, this one. Apparently so. Which apparently is kind so. of a bit weird, right? Because again, it's not one of the stronger al- tracks on the album. It's quite a... like. And, uh, well, I was going to say, actually... When you look at the album, for me, the stronger tracks are the ones that have got the quite emotive stuff. So they're either the ones mm. that are quite angry and aggressive or shouty and frustrated or quite deep. The tracks that seem to have been the more popular ones are quite kind of the meh. Like this this track isn't really saying anything, is it? Like, yeah, you live, you learn. <laughs> it goes, it goes yeah. a little bit to what Ian said, though. Summer track in the car. There is a... Mm. That, wor- that works for some people me. on some level. It, it's well, this 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 song sort of lends more hand in my pocket to me than a lot of other songs. Yeah, yeah. I, I I think I think that the reason you put out a single like a fourth single from an album that's already doing massive business is to keep the business going, mm. and and so you put out a, a song that's got the next most memorable chorus on it that you know and and that kind of you live you learn da 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 question and answer type thing mm. is a familiar type of structure and it's the kind of thing that. You know, halfway through the first chorus, you know the chorus. So by the time the second chorus comes round, you think you've heard the song before, and that's that's the job of a a single when you're looking at maintaining momentum. And easy to sing and stick in your head loops round yeah. up there, yeah, yeah. And that's what uh, you know, and it's for the radio. That, you know, no, that's what single singles are released, isn't it? You're hoping for for radio play. Yeah, absolutely. And and again, I feel really guilty with this album, even saying anything that's vaguely negative, because it's it's just a we sort of spoilt with the riches. There isn't a bad solo on this. There isn't a there isn't a bad melody on this album. It's all really, really from sort of superb to baseline solid. But again, then then you it sort of pushes you to have to somehow quantify better than or similar to. But that's down to the quality of what we're listening to, rather. Than uh, absolutely. Else, I yeah. mean, a, a less good so- track on this album is a very good, very yes. good track on another album. That's absolutely. it, isn't it? Like you judge it because, like, there's a few tracks on here where you're kind of like, eh, you know, they're okay, but they're not. But yeah, like you say, <laughs> any of these tracks would stand up on their own in yeah. multiple other people's albums. You know, it's the standout track. <laughs> Let's move back. I'm going to get boring now with single releases. I'm sorry, I just can't help it. So single number five. <laughs> because is... this is where people are getting all their information from. Oh, of course, yes. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Keeping it real, guys. Keeping it real. Single number five, Head Over Feet. Nice little bass slide at the beginning and a little bit more prominently mixed up bass right at the top of the song. Other than that, Again, it's it's a, it's another solid lyrical song. Um, it's not your fault. So it's a line that sticks out for me. I, yeah, another typically five star Alanis song, albeit again perhaps the cadence is the hand in your pocket cadence, as previously alluded to in a similar way. But um, yeah, go. <laughs> this is another one of those ones where there's probably a name for it, which you guys, which are far cleverer than me, will know. 
but I really like the way, like in the chorus bit where she does the kind of like, and you really won me over in spite of me. And it's kind of like, she kind of like, it's almost like running up a hill to get to that line. Like, you've already, you know, it kind of goes, goes up her and not just she goes. And again, like, I feel like we're repeating ourselves a little bit, but it really just goes to that, like, that, that style of kind of how she kind of expresses the lyric and 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 gets it across with those kind of little lo- vocal tweaks that she does. Um, I really enjoyed that. I yeah I I yeah I know what you're saying. I don't know what it's called. Well, we're not. I think you're probably as clever or cleverer than we are anyway. So, <laughs> but it, I know what you mean. It's that kind of. Uh, it's one of those. Uh, if you try singing it, then you can mm. understand it because it kind of goes. Ugh. It's like a a loop the loop mm. uh, in your mouth as, as you're going going through. It's one of those things. It's fun. It's fun to sing. I think there's a couple of notes I've made on this. Firstly, obviously the phrase is um, head over heels, but I wonder whether there's some lyrical wisdom going on there because you can't spit out the word heels because the word dies. Whereas with, with a hard T at the end of something, it it gives you something to spit at. It gives it gives a gives the word that that punch. So I wonder whether that was a, a lyrical decision rather than someone just getting the phrase wrong. But the thing I really really like about this is the the second line of the chorus. There's a some very weird. Not weird. There's some there's some very different chord progression going on there. Something you don't hear in pop music very often. And you've got uh, the, the D to a B minor, to a, a a B flat major, to an A. You've got this kind of weird descend, uh, and a B minor to a to a to a B flat to an A. Where do you hear that kind of thing? Because it's running because because the, the the chords go down as the vocals go up, and it it would work if it just went uh, um, mm. uh, D uh, B minor A, but that B flat in there. To me, every time I go, oh, that's gorgeous progression. Absolutely love it. When you hit that exotic spot with one chord in a sequence, yeah. there's nothing like it. Particularly, particularly if you've got a cracking vocal melody and good lyrics. Ab- on absolutely, well, absolutely. Like, wow. I mean, it's it, it's you know jazz, isn't it? <laughs> oh, don't, there's no need to be nasty. <laughs> <laughs> Again, going back to the lyrics on this as well, there's another little line that I really like. It's just sometimes she's just got little bites of lyrics. She's like, you know, you are the bearer of unconditional things. I love that. Yeah. What a lovely thing to say. Yeah, yeah. You are the bearer of unconditional things. I just, I, I love it. Love that line. This, yeah, it's, I mean, uh, the, the lyrics throughout, it's just beautiful, beautiful phrasing. Mm. Uh, moving on to Mary Jane. I really like Mary Jane. It's a bit of a it's not a hidden gem it's another it's a gem that stands out amongst a load of gems but i do it, there is a, a sort of very very haunting aspect to this i think there's always something about when good songwriters write a song uh, and the song title is a name um mm. and then the sort of vibe that follows that can follow that is, is sort of quite can be quite powerful i think it is in this in this tune i like the way that she does the dark and light thing fairly rapidly? Mm. She'll be sort of a yeah. mellow cadence, and then da, 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 mellow cadence, and back and mellow cadence, and yeah, that really sells it and and gives it this sort of e- slightly eerie. Oh, I don't know. 
Well, I, I made that, that no. It start it starts off, you know, nice and gentle. And like three lines in, she's she's a full pelt from nowhere, and then you know drops down again. I, 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 exactly the same, uh, exactly the same note. And there is some quite like real snarling, yeah, sounds oh, yeah. in the vocals on yeah. this as well, um, which I really really enjoy. I was wondering with this one, um, if this is a bit of an ode to herself a little bit, like if she is Mary Jane. Interesting. Like you know, as someone who's been in the music industry, who, you know, has had a couple of albums rejected, is struggling to get airplay, there is this kind of like a reflection on yourself, maybe, of don't don't worry, it'll get better. Like, yeah, it's hard, but we'll we'll push through, it's gonna be all right. And and you can see as well, like like I wonder what things like for me, like I hear that, like, oh, I hear you losing weight again, like who you ever wondered who you're losing it, you know, notoriously at that point in time, you know, especially with her coming from like a pop background, that will have been something that she's been told time and time again. Cause she, yeah. you know, we you know, if you think of Alanis Morissette as a you know, this stick thing creature, but actually if you look at her at any other point in time in her life, she hasn't been. There's a period of time there where she is, but actually the rest of the time she's actually kind of kind of average sized girl. And I can imagine, you know, would have been told by many a record execs like, oh lose a little bit of yeah. weight and then mm. I, I think she's uh, she's been on record as uh, saying she's she's suffered from like anorexia or bulimia or you know those, those some kind of eating disorder anyway. Mm. I, yeah, I think that's very astute. I've not thought about it like that, but now looking at lyrics, I think you're, I think you're spot on. <laughs> Another great track, by the way. And again, one of the ones that's a, uh, perhaps a little bit different. I think there is a slightly more... It, it's hard to say things like haunting quality when her voice is the way it is because it sounds too obvious, but I think it's an holistic piece uh, and, and the dyna- the whole dynamics of the song. I think there is a, a bit of a haunting quality. It's very much a... Um, it's a cuddle in a song, isn't it? Yes, yes, it is. A warm cuddle. That's not my second song that I think's different yet. We we haven't got there yet. Um, <laughs> but it's interesting, right? Because I saw an interview with her where they were talking about her going on tour for this album. So just before, sorry, going on tour for the one that I saw. And they were talking about going on tour and what it's like because she was saying about how she'd taken her family with it. And she was talking about, and I'm going to pronounce it wrong, but there's a, I want to say, the Swedish or Dutch thing called. Hoog, hoogie, hoogie, something like that. And it's this idea of hoog, I think it is maybe. Um, it's this idea of like creating comfort wherever you are, warmth and comfort oh, yeah. and things like that. And like this song like rings bells to me. It's like, that's what it is. It's <laughs> like that little, you know, a hug in a in a big, cosy, knitted throw, like be like, they're there, it's okay. It's going to be all right, <laughs> don't worry. Like, you know, yeah. Warmth and safety. That's yeah. all that's that's why that's why you want to stay in bed in the morning. I mean yeah. it's yeah, it's self-explanatory, isn't it? It's just like, yeah. <laughs> Completely. And if you could again, if you couldn't uh, if you can iterate that into a song. Well, I'm sure she could, I'm sure she could. Yeah. So th- this is this is gonna be slightly more interesting as uh, some of your comments earlier, Becca. This is great. Um <laughs> moving on to ironic. Now do for we, me Do we get to do the QI like buzzer thing now? Where it's like, what's the obvious comment about this song? Do we get it out of the way up front? Oh, we're not talking about all the bitching and moaning about, well, it's every single thing she said actually an example of irony. And all all that just tears my freaking head in. Oh, man. That that was, that adds to the legend of it a little bit, to be frank. I think um, Ed Byrne did a very 
funny stand-up routine about that <laughs> you know and that was it but to be honest the people that bang on about that there's there's a lot of bloody dunning crew going on i uh, most of the stuff in there is a, a quite reasonable example of situational irony mm. there's there's one or two that are straining it a little bit but you know that's the thing you start off writing a a, a song to a pattern you get a thing and you do go off piste yeah. a little bit and when it comes down to it it's you know it's rock and roll these are lyrics it's poetry but, if you can't bend yeah. the english language yeah, yeah. into strange new shapes then what's the bloody point the bottom she... line is she's she's communicating with her listener <laughs> And exactly. a listener gets it because it's fucking eruditely and empirically stated. So, so yeah. it's not a failure. I remember my old man whinging at me about my handwriting. You couldn't read his. Mine wasn't great, but you could read it. And my argument was, yeah, but it's doing its fucking job. <laughs> you know, and it's the same thing. It doesn't matter about some twat with a hat on saying, oh well. Uh, if you if you if you look at the uh, the, gra- the grammatical aptitude of this young lady, then there's a lot to be said. It's oh, piss off! It's, oh, oh. It does what it's I, saying. I think you'll find, Mister <laughs> Mister the Beatles, that you can't have a hard day's night. Wap babaloo Oh dear! Sorry, sorry. But <laughs> even more important for me and again you, you and i may be slightly odds here becca for me this is one of the most killer choruses of all time it is yeah. howlingly powerful howlingly perfect fulsome huge musical lift i i i really this song is oh it, it's just superb the power of the pop, the sensibility. I, I love it. I absolutely love it. I think it's brilliant. Um, and I know because at the beginning you said, oh, well, <laughs> you know, I'm like, oh, no, please but don't. You know, but, you know, is it, would it be a go-to karaoke song for me? Yes, 100% all the time. I can tell <laughs> out quite happily all day, every day, no, long, no problem. And, you know, is it lyrically? Yeah, I, I get it. We've all been there. Law of Sod playing out literally every single, <laughs> you know, bit of it. I think for me, it's just overplayed. Like, I really yeah, struggle yeah. with that of being overplayed. Yeah. And, the, and, but like, and I don't know why some, some more than others, right? Because, you know, like I mentioned Jack Buckley earlier, like I could listen to Grace a mm. hundred times a day, every day for the rest of my life. I think it is the song that I could hear forever and never, ever get bored of it. I think ironic, just if I listen to it more than like two or three times, I just like just throw the CD out of the car. Like I just, I'm not, <laughs> I just, there, uh, there. It just, it, yeah, I don't know what it is. It hasn't got enough for me to hold me. And actually, to be fair, there are other songs on this lyric, uh, that my favourite song, which we still haven't got to yet, on this album that I could listen to a hundred times a day forever for the rest of my life. But ironic is just not one of them. Oh, I'm interested now as we only have two songs <laughs> left after this. Um, and one of these two songs is my other song that I think is really, really different. I think uh, I think with it. this one, I, I've probably got a foot in both camps. Um, oh. I'm with you, Paddy, in, in, in as much as I think it's a belter. But I, I definitely have been uh, in a situation of uh, hearing it one too many times. But I haven't heard it for a long time, and I... I put the album on again a couple of days ago to prep for this and i liked it again and yeah, so that's <laughs> that's lovely. That's but, lovely. but i can absolutely understand it because it was completely 
ubiquitous. It's the one, I don't know if it was the biggest single, I suspect it was, but it was certainly the one I remember hearing on the radio more. It's the one when you think of Alanis Morissette, it's the yes. track, it's in yeah, the car, it's... with the hats on, singing along as she's driving, like everyone, everyone <laughs> knows that visual. It, it walks a peculiar line of sort of, as if there's sort of contrivance involved. Is it, you know, is it just, yeah, all right, so irony, blah, blah, blah. Is, is, is it this contrived song? It's like, no, it's perfect delivery. <laughs> it's, it's pure pop. It's hitting the nail squarely. On the, you know, it's that. It isn't contrived. But it seems to be a bit that way because it's so damned good at, what, at the specificity of what it's doing. And again, just all all plaudits and lauding going to Alanis Morissette for that. <laughs> and super, I, quite, I do, I will say though, I do like the last bit of it. So the very last bit of it, most people won't think about. But after she says all of these things, where it's like, oh God, it's this, it's that, whatever. She kind of had this bit at the end where it's like, life is a funny way of helping you out. And it's kind of almost like she's like kind of referencing that like everything happens for a reason. You know, she's talked about the guy who, you know, dies in a plane crash and, and things like that. So they're quite kind of dark things. But she's kind of referencing that idea of like, actually, you know, everything happens for a reason. Everything has a path. And, and you know, yeah, which kind of leans into this kind of Buddhist sort of meditative side of her, which I kind of like. But that's mm. the only bit of the song that I really like. I'll tell you what as well. <laughs> an- another thing it makes me think of her. She was, I think, she's two. Well, she was twenty-one when this came out, mm. so presumably she started. Say, let's say she was writing it for six months a year or, or whatever. Probably less because of the they, they wrote very fast, so it wouldn't get yeah, like ten minute songs for all accounts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but my God, what an old soul! Mm. I was a I was a child at twenty-one. Yeah. I, a lot of these things, never mind like relationship stuff. I mean, just like the the ability to have such raw feelings and emote them through this medium in this way that's, also, that's a like, really you know, old soul to me you know, that that bit and one of the ones that we were talking earlier where it was kind of like eh, you know what will be, be will be yeah that's what i was thinking earlier when we were talking about that like a bit of an old soul because she's kind of not just kind of gone here's my emotions here's the real things that you need to hear experience in here but actually i'm reflecting on them and you know that's just kind of the way life is you know, at 21, most of us are just still very angry about the way life is, and she's just kind of quite accepting of things. But not all things, because obviously she's very emotive about certain bits, and, you know, where you're talking about Catholic priests and the businessmen and things like that, she's very much punching out and the exes and stuff. But actually with these other things, she's like, yeah, do you know, some shit stuff happens, but, like, eh, kind of all right. But I, I think, as you've alluded to earlier, Becca, you know, the as a woman you're connecting to kind of lived experience that you share here this is not someone just telling a story about their own life they are actually skewering a a, a larger uh, truth mm. um and that i mean that's a certain maturity and an intellect not just an emotional intellect but you know that 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 kind of ability to observe you know the, the world and, and what have you and, and just skewer it so deftly yeah and, and maybe that goes back to the comments she made about moving from Toronto when she was talking about not being able to write with people because she couldn't connect to them emotionally or you know in you know from an intelligence perspective 
And maybe that is because actually as a 21 year old, she was probably far more advanced than everyone else at her age at that point. Um, I would, I don't know how old the guy is that she wrote the album with, but I'd hazard a guess that he's going to be a little bit older than her. And maybe that was the dynamic she needed, you know, for someone with such a soul. I'll look it up in the background while you. Yeah, say, love this. <laughs> yeah, at least at least have the decency to do it before the podcast. Is. <laughs> well, no, I didn't. I didn't know Becca was going to raise that very salient point. <laughs> no, all good, all good. All right then. Moving on to well, I, I, unless we're waiting for you to come back with a particular point there, but. Oh, no, I'll just drop it in later. <laughs> no, moving on to Not Adopt It. Now, this is the one which I think is a bit different. I look at this, and you ought to know, is the standout tracks in the context of they're not like the others in the Sesame Street, which one is not like the other one, type five. <laughs> and, and it's a very subtle thing, and I think it's, you know, I, I would kind of, happily be argued down about it because it's a very subjective thing but there is something sort of non-intuitive about the melody and the direction that she goes sometimes with the vocals here which make it sound strange and it's it's fast fantastic for it the uh, the visiting the time is over and then the sort of and she does this as well where she changes a key line slightly visiting time is over visiting time is visiting times are nine to five in the similar way as Oh, oh, God, I've forgotten the other one. The other one is, is a flip between the boy and the girl, and I like that. But the, when, when she follows from the visiting time is over, if you think of the sort of the vocal melody from that, that point, there's a real strangeness to it, and it doesn't, in a sense, it's because somebody you can rely upon to write such brilliant melodies, choruses, and be so consistent about it still does that, but goes in a non-intuitive direction and and I I don't know why particularly I think that about this but I really when I when I listen to those lines it's kind of odd but you know completely fantastic sort of thing and all that backed against a a very very monotone sort of outside of those bits which I suppose are pre-chorus chorus you've got this kind of monotone acoustic guitar riff which differs very very slightly but not much at all and it just, I don't know, this song's brilliant. Like a lot of your kind of talk is about kind of a vocal on this. And yet for me, where the vocal is number one and everything, is the guitar that stands out for me on this track. Like, <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's, it's extremely it gets... noticeable. Mm. Definitely, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because it's very definite sound. And again, it kind of goes back to that thing of like, probably at the time was probably more of a kind of, a heard guitar sound but I think at the it's not a particularly trendy one nowadays you know so you don't hear it as much now and so it kind of stands out a little bit more but yeah I think it's interesting this one because like I said I've not really listened to vast amounts of her tracks since this album and I've dipped in a few times and you know either not given them enough time really or mm. just not been that kind of bothered but I would say this of all the tracks on the album reminds me more of where she was heading like where she ended up going um, just in the kind of uh, the vocal stylings and the style of the song itself, like um, it's quite interesting because, like you say, it's it's different to everything else. It's not a track that I absolutely love on this album, and yet actually, it kind of like I say leans into more what she's done since, which again hasn't really particularly grasped me much. 
I have to say, like, Infatuation Junkie, Under Road Swept, and So-Called Chaos, I think, are really good albums, and you really see how she develops. But, yeah, yeah, check them out if you can. Really, really good. Uh, yeah, I need to dedicate more time to it, because she played a couple of non-album tracks when she played live, mm. and there were a few where I was kind of like, oh, I don't, know, don't mind this, but I don't really know it that well. Have you got a take on this one, Ian? Anything particular stand up for you? Nothing much more to add, really. You're uh, cool. You're doing a fine job between the two of you of covering. Wait, wait, we try, we try our best, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do, I do have do 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 this just in. Uh, <laughs> uh, Glenn Ballard, who uh, is the producer and songwriter we were talking about, he's twenty years older than her. Yeah, that um, makes sense, wow. doesn't it? So yeah. And again, another one of those things as well of like what an odd thing. I mean, probably not, you know, at that period of time, but. You know, for a 21-year-old to be locked up in a recording studio with a guy who's nearly old enough to be her dad. Yeah, it'd, it'd have been like 42. Like some of yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Which seems seems quite young, actually, doesn't it, Paddy? <laughs> oh, don't start, please. <laughs> but yes. <laughs> so, I, I, as I have a feeling, you have something very special to say about this one, possibly, Becca. I no, if I, and I'm going to really oh, annoy you because it also isn't oh. my favourite track on the album. Oh, well, go on then, far away. <laughs> um, yeah, I probably don't really have too much to say about this song, actually. It's not one that kind of, I don't know, I don't know, kind of passed me by a little bit, really. It's one, like, funnily enough, because kind of when we go through these, because I have a really crap memory for song names, I often, like, I've, I've had sort of the lyrics kind of up just to kind of remind me so I can kind of get it in my head and while yeah, we're talking. Yeah, really. And this is the one where even as I kind of look at the lyrics, I can't even remember how it goes. It's a total nothing song to me. So this one is quite the opposite of what you're expecting for me. I don't really have a great deal to say yeah, about it. Fair <laughs> enough, fair enough. It's, it's another one with the soul to soul dance beat vibe yeah. thing on it for me. Nice bit pick guitar, sparse. But yeah, I kind of in a similar camp to the one that I didn't think you'd be in. <laughs> to you, to be honest, it's it's such a funny place. Is the last song on an album, you know? Because I always think, unless it's written as an outro, if it's not an outro or the biggest hit ever, it's a really really tough song to to track into an album. You know, if you write sort of I don't know, Knights of Sidonia or something, that, that yeah. makes sense as a last song on an album, right? This. I'm now trying to bring to mind the last song on 30-something because that was an outro song, the second podcast we ever did of the classic. <laughs> but, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of with you, to be honest. It's, it's, it's entirely unoffensive and nothing wrong with it. And I suppose, when, you know, as the outros go, that little bit at the end, the the way she does, like, the get up, get up, and the, like, because the, the last bit is the wake up. I suppose that's, yeah, I could see why you would end an album with that, but you're right, it's not like a real like, yeah. finish on a high point kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. it's not the final come down. No, it's Yeah, isn't. the final come down, that's the one. That's the one, sorry, I'd forgotten it. No, not too, <laughs> not too bright. So the one thing that really, I think this album did, I, I don't know, sort of be, say, the boringly obvious thing of, Messages of empowerment in a, in a gender sense and all those kind of things. I do think with Alanis Morissette, she, I can hear a lot of of so, just like purist songwriters that benefited from listening to this album. And I think she had 
as much as a positive influence on the sort of um, issues and the female perspective and stuff like that, I think also equal equal size gift is look, you don't act, you know you can write a consistent set of absolutely smashing, consistent, brilliant songs, and this is how to do it. You know, we've hit the mid nineties. There's been a lot going on. <laughs> look at this slap and i think that's the power of this album and that's what sort of that's the the, the lasting there's two parts of the lasting legacy I, I i can see as far as i can see the female perspective on this <laughs> but I, I think it is also a pure, a pure a, as well as it's a pure songwriting gift you know for for sort of singer songwriters really i think like the songwriting gift for me is the one that we haven't talked about go on then you've confused me now yeah I've really thrown you up and i yeah, so, you if you're an avid CD listener in the 1990s, it's a hidden track. CD all the way through, and at the end, oh, do you know, of this album, know. there yeah, are yeah. two hidden tracks. There are two hidden tracks at the end of this album, so it gives you. I have no track. idea. So, firstly, there is a reprise of "You Ought to Know," um, which is just another version of it. It doesn't really add too much for me, but okay. at the very, very end of the track, there is a song called "Your House." It is totally a cappella, and it's beautifully haunting and I could I used to spend ages with a cassette tape recording just that bit of the secret track on the CD so I could loop it and put it on repeat on a cassette because I loved it mm. and basically it's the ultimate stalker track she breaks into her boyfriend's house when he's not there she goes in tries his t-shirt, lies in his bed, has a shower, <laughs> reads to all of his letters, listens to all his, I think she says either Johnny or Joni. So I'm going to go with either like Joni Mitchell or Johnny Cash CDs. But, um, you know, and and it's a heartbreak song because she has gone into, you know, in the early parts of this song, she's in this house and you're like, oh, she's in a boyfriend's house and he's not there and things like that. And as the song transpires, she's actually talking about, oh, I know it's a letter, it's, you know, a love letter, it's not from me. And then all of a sudden it kind of goes into wow. like, oh, it wasn't my writing, you know, oh, I've got to go. And honestly, it is just stunningly beautiful. And I have to say, when she played the album, the whole way through I was saying to my friend, oh, my God, she's got to play the secret track, she has to play the secret track. I'd be so good at this if she didn't. And she went through all of these tracks and then added in a couple of others from other albums. And then all of a sudden she started to play this track and I was like, oh, no, that's it. She took a breath and she started to, and I was like, oh my God. But she did it. She kind of ruined it for me and kind of didn't. Right? So she kind of ruined it for me because she didn't do a full a cappella, which in the O2 with her and her voice would have been astounding, you know, to just hear her vocal and the silence, all those singing around us would have been a beautiful. But she did this really weird choppy thing where she would play a little bit of it in like a reggae style and then she'd stop. And then she'd play another little bit of it in like a kind of funk style and then she'd stop. <laughs> and then, and like she was basically stopping and starting. She did like a ska punk version of it until she kind of sang the very last bit just of a cappella. But it, so it was quite a nice like little play for the fans of like here's a thing I'm going to do and do something a little bit funky and a little bit interesting and kind of express that personality but yeah for me 
this is the epitome of this album. And I think this is the funny thing that you guys wow. have talked a lot about the music and with the exception of one or two songs, is all 100% about the vocal. And for me, this mm. track, therefore, is the most important track on the album because it is totally about the vocal. It is incredibly vulnerable. It is absolutely beautiful to hear. And, you know, and, and the the bits at the end where she was just like, you know, um, you know, forgive me for the salt in your bed. Like, you know, as in like, I've been crying in your bed because I miss you and... I, you know, you're with somebody else and it's not me anymore. And it's like. I've cheekily looked that up and just had a, a few listen. I've just popped sort of through it in the cans. Oh my God, I wish I'd have known about that. It does sound really damned good. Uh, but unfortunately, I can't have much of an opinion. <laughs> it's, it is honestly. I implore every single person who has discovered it on Spotify and never sat as a teenager wow. and waited until the track finished on your CD player, go and find this track because it is just, it is the best thing on this album times 20 mm-hmm. for me, by far. And and even better that so few people know it's there. <laughs> cool. Awesome. My little hulking gem for everybody. <laughs> That kind of feels like a lovely place to leave it. And, and I, I, I kind of want to go and listen to it. Okay, then. That's, that's superb. Thank you so much for that little gem at the end there. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, I'm a, a rounded up for tonight, then. Thank you very much for li- listening. That was uh, Alanis Morissette's Jagged Little Pill. Well, most of it, and then we were educated a little bit more at the end of my list from me and Ian. Um, <laughs> But uh, good night wherever you are. Bye. Bye.